0: Hello everybody and welcome to tonight's episode of MHTV. I'm Vanessa Garrity and I'm here with my colleague um, Nikki Lambert and our guest tonight and um, we're talking tonight about spirituality in mental health and more specifically about spiritual support mental health within mental health organisations. I'll come on to our guest in a minute to introduce herself but First of all, I'm going to hand you over to Nikki to say a few words about social media and how we're going to be doing that tonight. Okay, Nikki, over to you.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Hello, everybody. And um, we're really glad you're joining us tonight. And um, we're on MHTV tonight on the hashtag. So if you are a astray, MHNL. 2020 wandering around, please um, tweet us on MHTV just for tonight. Um, and we're absolutely happy to have you along. If you are joining on Facebook or want to join on Facebook, if you go to the Unite Mental Health Association page um, and we're live now. So you'll be able to follow us there. Thank you.
0: Okay. Thanks, Nikki. And, um, and Yasmin, over to you to introduce
2: yourself first of all. Okay. Thank you very much. Oh, hi, all. Yes, my name is Yasmin Hamid. Um, I am a uh, chaplain with the Mental Health Trust. Uh, And I'm known as a generic chaplain. And we work on a pastoral and spiritual care services. Brilliant. And
0: thank you for joining us tonight. I'm really looking forward to tonight's conversation. And I guess um, what intrigues me um, at the outset really is um, that you call yourself a generic chaplain. Can you explain a little bit more about what a generic chaplain is and the differences between a traditional chaplain and a generic one?
2: Thank you, Vanessa. Yeah, The difference between the two is when there is a chaplain who goes into a ward, he would be faith-based, i.e. Catholic or or Church of England. Uh, When it comes to generic chaplains, it means that they uh, would work with people with any faith or no faith. So basically it could be a, a church of England Catholic Hindu, Muslim whatever it may be or maybe a patient service user or staff who doesn't have any faith. So we would work, work on the basis of spirituality and pastoral care. it's mm.
0: so. mm, really yes. interesting and how would you how, how would you um, how would you do that given like the number of different um, religions that people, um, find themselves connected to um, these days. How would you How would you work in a way that met lots of different religious ways of
2: life? Very interesting question. Uh, yeah, uh, the way we would work, or I would work, because when you go into a ward, uh, or if you see a patient or a staff service user, mm-hmm. you do not look at their religion, what their background yeah. is. The, the actual discussion, the connection is based on what the individual brings to you. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So you don't, you're not going in there with a preconceived idea. Okay, I'm going in there. I'm going to dictate whatever. It is what they would want to talk about. So it's about relationship, connecting with them and see what they, they feel com- comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important that, um, there's, um there's an assumption, isn't there, that um, chaplaincy is, is just about providing people with support in terms of their religion, but obviously it's also about looking at people's spiritual beliefs and certainly, you know, you work in a mental health organisation. Okay. Imagine, you know, you're working with lots of people in crisis and, um, you know, if people are in crisis, isn't that a time when they look towards their Spiritual spirituality, perhaps more than at any other time in their lives, I would say.
2: Yes, um, and with mental health, uh, I think one of the things that uh, one has to be mindful of is that uh, mental health is such that you have to be extra yeah. vigilant about what you do and what you say and your terminology, because some would go on a path of faith. And, and some poorly people will say, "No, I don't want to know about the religion. I don't do not care about it because why am I here? Why did God put me in this position?" So I do, I don't believe in it. So this is, this is one of the reasons why I said that when you go in there, you look at the individual, yeah, yeah, and not what their what their faith was or is or doesn't have. And it helps. And uh, if you connect with their spirituality, some people would say my spirituality is well, I feel happy when I watch TV. The other one says, oh, I like going out for walks. It's all about connection and what makes yeah. them feel good about it or good about themselves. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, I mean, talking about that, what intrigues me as well, if you're happy to share with us, is your personal journey and what led you into um, Chaplain, say?
2: It, it's, it has really been a progressive journey. Uh, and my inspiration was my mother. Mm. Uh we come mm. from a very uh, kind of uh, religious family. Uh, being a Muslim, you know, you brought up in, in a spiritual way and all that. But my mother was very inspirational. Um, there was a time when uh, in early days uh, of my life, um, I had worked in different areas, uh, in different jobs. And I was sitting with my mom one day and I said to her, you know what? I just don't feel happy. I don't know. Mm. I'm just not happy about this job. She said, what do you want to do? So I said, I'm not sure. And mom's answer was, you like talking to people and listening to people. So why yeah, don't yeah. you look for something in that area? Mm-hmm. And that, that started my journey, which led me to go into a, uh, a day service where I started working with people with learning disabilities. And there was a time there was a young man there with whom I had a good relationship, working relationship. He was our service user. And uh, something changed in this young man, and uh, his behavior changed. So it gave me the opportunity to sit with him and talk to him only to find out that he was grieving. He was scared of dying. And to find that now his uh, father has died and he doesn't know how to grieve. You know, it was uh, so that gave me the and I started thinking about it and I said, no, this is something that I want to go into. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I uh, became a counsellor, followed by, uh, you know, doing uh, theology and uh, into chaplaincy, which was a part time. First, it was volunteer work mm-hmm. onto full time position. In between, I, I, I've been with at the NHS for many years now. So
0: that's the journey in terms of my spirituality and where it's brought me now. That's really so, interesting. Yeah. And a similar journey in a sense to um, the journey into mental health nursing, isn't it, in some ways, in terms of the connect, human connection and, um, yeah. and help people in that way. Uh, um, if people are watching who are interested in a career in chaplaincy, what would your advice be? What would they, Where would they go? I know you mentioned that you did theology, but is that the only route into chaplaincy? What you Absolutely not.
2: Absolutely not. Well, you know, I I, I hope that I don't say anything that it kind of um, you know, reflects on me, but the uh, chaplaincy is something about your you, yourself, what kind of person you are. If you are the kind of person who likes to help people, likes being with people, yeah, you know, you hurt when other people hurt you cry when other people are in pain their pain is yours if you're the kind of person and uh, uh, you connect with people Mm. yeah i think look into chaplaincy because it's it's a lovely lovely position to be in where you can sit there and maybe change someone's life just by listening to them
0: yeah yeah that's really nice message isn't it i know that um, i used to share an office for a long time when i worked in a mental health trust with a with a chaplain and um and i was really struck by the sort of humanity of the job and the things that she got to do um, particularly you know some very difficult times you know such as when we had you know deaths of um you know service users within the organisation um, particularly people that had you know were known to services for quite a long time. And I really felt that um, her role came into its own, really, in terms of supporting the family, but also supporting, you know, staff in the organisation, you know, to come to terms with it. But in a very human way, it wasn't done in a particularly religious way. It was done in a way where she was really good at um, bringing people together, really, to celebrate people's lives and, and talk, you know, talk about the person. So, um, mm. yes, yeah, so it really struck me at the time. I don't think, I think before then, I hadn't obviously knew what chaplains did, but I think it did change my perspective um, because of my relationship with her. And the other yeah. thing that struck me was um, was about support um, because I didn't, I felt that it was quite an isolated role. Um, would you say that, Yasmin, and where would you go for support as a chaplain? Because you must deal with some quite... You know, uh,
2: I'm absolutely um, blessed that we have, uh, um, we're a very small team uh, of chaplains, but um, you know, my um, manager who is absolutely a gem of a man whom I can bring any time and talk to. So I've never ever felt that I was isolated yeah. or didn't have anyone to talk to because you do in chaplaincy, uh, like any, any job, when you've had a stressful day, uh, you do need to talk to someone yeah, before okay. you take it home because you have a home life too you've got children at home you don't want to take it home so yes i have a great uh, source of um, support very yeah. humble and
0: pleased with that yeah and nikki yeah, any yeah. questions yeah
1: already oh, yeah absolutely um so um alfonso hello Um, COVID-19 has limited most activities and visits on wards. Were the spirituality needs of service users still met and acknowledged, and how did you manage this? Yeah,
2: that's a great question. It is absolutely a fantastic question, and um, this is what I have uh, been working on since March, when it happened, when we were told that uh, COVID-19 and uh, what the, the government guidance was, where families could not visit patients, um, it, there was a lot of confusion, a lot of uh, anxiety with the staff. Um, I was asked if, uh, amongst my colleagues, we were asked, we would be be willing to be de- redeployed in the area where there was COVID-19? Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we kind of um, very gladly said yes, but I remember my first day. I need to tell you about this journey in order to appreciate what happened. Is that um, when I arrived that first day I was so scared because I didn't really know what I was going into. It was an unknown territory for me. Yeah. When I went in there staff were anxious but the brilliant mm-hmm. thing was that it became a, um, a united family. We all kind of got together and started working together. Mm-hmm. Now in terms of activities there wasn't much activity, because everyone had to be mindful of the, of the virus. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we couldn't do much activities. But what I did uh, in my role, and I thank God for that, is that uh, the wards that I was working in were predominantly uh, of different faith to mine. Most mm-hmm. of them were Christians, some Jewish people, uh, uh, non-faith people. So wherever I found out who were, what their fate was, um, I actually purchased a um, speaker, a Bluetooth speaker, mm-hmm. together with my iPhone. I tied it around my neck, put the PP on, and would go into the uh, rooms of the patients who were struggling uh, or, or dying, and we would put um, on the whether it's hymns. Lord's prayer any any requirement, whatever they needed at the time because we of all the people i i appreciate that uh, appreciate that because i knew that uh, the family out there who can't come in to hold their loved ones
0: mm.
2: who were taking their last breath mm. know that there is someone yeah. in the in with them it's of mm. great comfort isn't it absolutely yeah. mm. so um uh, together with the the managers who happens to be christians we would find out what their faith is and accordingly i would play their religious uh prayers and this is how we did whatever i wouldn't call it activities but this is what we did to make it easy for for the service user for patients. Mm. And then go back and ring the family up and say he or she didn't die alone. We were in the room with them. So important.
0: Mm. Incredibly tough, um, Mm. but also, um, you know, incredibly privileged to spend time with people at the end and be able to comfort them and, you know, I just think, you know, if it was your own friends and family, just knowing that somebody was there on the end. I mean, it must have been absolutely yeah. horrendous. Like everybody, you know, um, particularly on social media, you know, reading the sort of personal stories on social media, including, you know, people no. that I know, lost relatives and mm. weren't able to be there with them in hospital. And, you know, it must have brought such relief to the family and comfort knowing that somebody was there with them at the end. And I mm. can't
2: imagine it. Really. Yeah, and I, th- I suppose one of the things that I uh, uh, I was kind of reflecting on was um, when my mother was dying, I remember that I was sitting next to her, not during COVID, I know, she died many years ago, and I remember holding her hand and saying, Mom, I remember this touch. I remember your soft skin. You know, when you're gone, that, that's going to be in my heart. And then to think about the families who couldn't do any of that, who couldn't come and even sit with them or, Mm -hmm. you know, for the last few minutes or um, Mm -hmm. before their death. So it was kind of humbling for me that God had given me that opportunity to sit there and do what Mm -hmm. I could. Yeah. I didn't compromise my faith in any shape or form, Mm -hmm. but I provided, I am hoping that I provided for people who were struggling with their own.
1: Yeah. I think so. I think so. And I think it's it's very odd odd thing, isn't it, that it's it's out of our own kind of pain and grief and loss that we're able to really support and connect to other people. It's almost like um like pain is the price you pay for love sometimes, isn't it? And to be able to share that and to be able to connect to people is so, so important. And I, I wonder how good a job we sometimes do in nurse education and even in nursing practice that talking about that side of the work. You know, I think you know. I've learned a lot from the chaplains I've worked alongside about, oh. yeah, that connection and the importance of it, and also the relief of knowing there isn't a right thing to say. Mm. It's about it's about being there, and it sounds if you when you read it in a book, it doesn't make any sense. But when you do it and you go through it with somebody, and you, you're with somebody when they're when they're dying, it makes such a big difference to how you understand. Um, Life, I think, and what's really important. Mm,
2: absolutely, and one of the things which was uh, uh, lovely to see was that um, the managers. I gave, I asked if they wouldn't mind joining in the prayers. Uh, you know, because they're of the of the same faith, or to say the goodbyes. Uh, you know, to do it the way they want to do it, so they could go back and talked to the families and said, actually, I was also there, and these are the things that we did for that individual. So, uh, yeah, it
0: was a um, very yeah. humbling experience. Absolutely, yeah. mm-hmm. and something we will never forget. And, um, yeah, it's profound, isn't it, really, being able mm-hmm. to do that, and having to do that as well when you, you know, none of us were expecting any of this to happen. You know, as you say, you know, when you got the phone call in March and you were told, same for everyone, isn't it? The world over, nobody was expecting um, to be in this position at all. And you know, the way mm. health services have responded, and you know, the individuals in particular within them has just been unbelievable, hasn't it? And remarkable. And yeah, that's suppose yeah. as well. Yeah, I was just thinking about. <laughs> Not just, um, you know, being there at the end of people's lives, but also um, has chaplaincy had a role around, um, you know, supporting people and families in particular afterwards? Because it's been an incredibly difficult time, hasn't it, in terms of um, funerals and ceremonies and things and the restrictions around people being able to
2: say goodbye indeed indeed and uh, one of the things that um and we are still as chaplains working with is um relatives needed support needed reassurance not being able to go to the funeral there was a limited number of it but also it triggered um some stuff in our staff yeah because it, they've been through that journey um A lot started happening, partners were furloughed, uh, Mm -hmm. lots of things happening at home, issues, concerns. So, the staff needed a lot of support.
1: Because initially
2: everyone was on a they were just getting on with it. And then when we all stopped, oh, what do we do now, what do we do now? And that's when it triggers off for for Mm -hmm. many, many staff who needed support. Mm. Uh, to just talk about it and go through the journey. And it may not be even about the, the patient who's died, it's triggered something in their lives. They're lost yeah. someone yeah. you know, to COVID or some, you know, like my mother triggered me off with thinking about her. So, yeah, uh, it's still ongoing. Relatives, it's still ongoing that they keep in touch because I think that, that this is that little attachment. To the final moment of their loved one dying, so that you know I was there and the manager was there. So when they're talking, it is some sort of comfort. Yeah, and it's kind of uh, sometimes it's, we're repeating things that we've already said, but they want to hear it. Why not?
1: Yeah, I've got some some more comments from people watching. So um, thank you very much. Uh, Michael Haslam, um, as mental health professionals, we have our own toolkits to use with service users and patients. But the importance of just being present with someone holding their hand is underestimated. So I think people are agreeing with you. Um, and Jade, who's a student, is um is, is taught, is, you answered a question about um working in COVID at the moment, just saying how interesting this is. Um, thank you, Nicholas, for joining in as well. Um we've got another question. Um Spirituality is such an important aspect in our human experience, whatever that might mean with that might mean to us. And with COVID 19, we've heard and seen such powerful stories. Thank you for sharing yours with us. Um, in terms of nurse education, how come there's so little taught about spirituality? Is there anything that we can we can do about that in terms of um, educating staff to just be a little, little more prepared, maybe
2: to, to, to look at some of these questions? Yeah. What a lovely question. Um, we are in talks at the moment because this is this is the time when um, chaplains or chaplaincy or spiritual care has actually surfaced. We were always in the background and still are with some people, but people didn't know there was a chaplaincy department or spiritual care department.
0: Mm.
2: But now because we're at the forefront of it, people ring us up yeah, on a regular <laughs> basis. Um, People who didn't know what chaplaincy was are curious because they've seen us work. Mm. So, yes, Mm. uh, um, we hope and pray that we get more chaplains because there is a great need. And it should be highlighted what chaplains, Mm. not just me, but around the country, what chaplains are really doing and not Mm. actually talked about. So I think it would be great to kind of highlight and touch on what chaplains are doing. Um, and
0: share the stories. Yeah, it would Isn't be great. Yeah. yeah, thank okay. you. Is there um, is there some sort of um, network within say Do you um, do you regularly connect with chaplains from other um, organisations around the country and things, or and okay. um, local contacts?
2: What, what first of all, I could I I would easily say that um, um, one of the places to uh, kind of uh, connect. Is with uh, College of Healthcare Chaplaincy. Yeah. Uh, once you remember that, you will get to know a lot about it. There, there's a lot of educational stuff. We're having a conference in October. Please do join us, whoever can, from mental health or mental health settings, join us uh, in that conference. Uh, and there are uh, uh, religious leaders or religious sects where they have their own WhatsApp groups of chaplaincy. If anyone is interested, I could always find out for them and send them the link. Uh, uh, there, there's many groups now where you could connect with chaplains. Uh, if, you, uh, if you want a generic chaplain or you want as a, uh, you know, your f- own faith-based chaplain, we can always connect you with them. So it's not an issue. Yeah. Great. Yeah. If we letter yeah. later to
1: that. I've got a couple more questions. I'm busy tonight. <laughs> so, um, I have a question from Dave. We know that staff working through COVID have suffered immensely with the stress and distress and moral injury. How have uh, chaplains been supporting NHS staff? Well, you are NHS
2: staff, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> <From start. laughs> yeah. Yes. And uh, as I said, my practice has been totally kind of. Uh, I am usually in their face, as you were. You know, I would go in there. Once I've uh, uh, visited patients, I would actually approach most of the staff Mm. and uh, say, how are you doing? Can we have five minutes? Can we have a chat? Mm -hmm. And this is how I have been, and uh, my colleagues have been supporting staff, Mm -hmm. and and it's on the increase where staff really do need support, and um, thank you for asking that question because it's very important. I'm emphasising this, that staff can actually talk to the chaplains who will make time. I I make it my business to go and ask each individual how they are within the ward, Mm -hmm. within my time that I have. Mm
1: A question from Adrian, hello Adrian. Um, We can't have holistic care without looking at biopsychosocial spiritual care. So how do we help um, staff and NHS staff understand and listen to others um, talking about their
2: fears and their hopes? So what what do we need to do? I think that the best thing, you know, I don't have all the answers, so uh, please excuse me if I don't have the right answer here, but I think it's about connecting with uh, with the staff to, to you know to see the staff what they're bringing in um and where it's taking you do the journey with the staff because they do need it they need need someone to hold them to to talk to them to support them you know all this this is about acknowledging that the staff mm-hmm. are struggling mm-hmm. and um, that, you know just be with them mm-hmm.
1: yeah. I'm, I sh- I'm
2: sorry I was just- I was going to say, um
1: I think particularly in mental health, um we do deal with death, but we deal with it in a very different way. We often experience sudden shocking death, and that's mm. a very challenging thing that brings its own brings its own problems and brings its own sadnesses. But I think that a lot of mental health staff weren't necessarily prepared for the kind of physical aspect of, of, of long-term care. You know, We were suddenly in the situation where people, we were suddenly nursing people in end-of-life situations, not able to transfer people, and suddenly having um, older adults who who, who were, who were ageing and, and dying as a result of that, um, but also people with COVID who were nursing for the first time. And I think a lot of staff were very afraid during that, not necessarily just because of COVID, although that was scary, but just afraid that suddenly we, people were exposed because you always want to do the absolute best for somebody. And I think if you haven't necessarily had had um, to work in that kind of palliative way before, it is quite frightening because you you only get one chance. You don't want to mess it up for somebody. Yeah, I think, so I think there was a lot of anxiety.
0: I think what struck me as well in mental health was, and, and in learning disability services as well, was that um, when people are dying um, who, you know, nurses have had like long-term relationships with these people. Absolutely. And in, and in care homes. So, mm. you know, if you work in a care home, it's, it's um, you know, you develop relationships with yeah. people mm. you work with. If you lose someone, it's very different to somebody mm. being admitted, um, you know, onto a hospital ward and, you know, and dying the same evening. And, um, and I think, um, yeah, incredibly mm. tough. You know, and I, I don't know really how much um, emphasis has been on that, really, about, you know, the, the sort of emotional labour that nurses have had to go through over this period has been, you know, incredible, mm. really. Not just mm. nurses, of course, but, um, you know, focusing on nurses, being a nurse. And and because I think nurses are often the people who are there a lot of the time, aren't they? They're the, often the people that have got the longer relationship. With people mm. in ward sections and in care homes. So. Mm.
1: Yeah. Got another question. Uh, how do you manage a situation where families have one belief, but the service user follows another path during a period of stress?
2: Well, it, for us, it's about the service user, whatever the service user needs, because he's our, he's our patient. Mm. So we would have to follow what what uh, his wish, wishes are or her wishes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it's an adult, uh, obviously, you know, that, that's exactly what we do.
1: Mm. Uh, another question: How how can we increase the competence of
2: nurses um, to be able to provide spiritual care? I think, Nikki, you answered the question. Or oh, I think, Vanessa, it's mm-hmm. about education. We need to be we need to be going into the, the wards. We need to do a lot more of uh, uh, training. Uh, one of the things that I have actually spoken to my team is that when we're employing new people, where there's a, a training going on, that spiritual care should be part of that training. That so, mm. uh, you know, if you come across a yes. patient or uh, staff who needs a, we're here. So it should be a mandatory training about knowing about spiritual care, mm. uh, uh, and the, the, yes. the chaplaincy department. So it's about education, I think, and this, this is the only way. And if we work, if we all work together. We can achieve
1: it.
2: Mm, absolutely.
1: Awesome, cool. Cool. Yeah. Um, I've got a question from a student nurse, or from WhatsApp group saying, um, what's the best best part of your job? Which is quite nice, actually, because I thought they were going to oh, ask what's what nice the worst question. part of your job. I got to the bit where it said yeah. best, I was pleasantly
2: surprised. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we like that. Oh, it's it's, it's, a, it's a it's a fab question. It is really yeah. The best best thing is, I love people, right? Mm-hmm. And when when I am able to sit there and just listen, <coughs> it's not about me talking, about about me mm-hmm. listening and seeing that there is, it's made a difference to that person just talking to me, somebody who's just walked in, really really upset, sat down, started talking offloading, and suddenly you see the changes changes in them. Mm-hmm. It's about connecting with people. Yeah. I just love doing that. And uh, yes, that's that's my answer. Another one. Which I think I think this one's a little bit harder. Okay, let's see what you think. <laughs> so
1: this well, again, just take over another, then. <laughs> no, this, this is another second year saying um what's um when you're working in mental health, do people's um, ment- mental distress get mixed up with their uh, religious beliefs? And how do you manage that?
2: Oh, so that's absolutely. A really question, actually. absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, on um, many occasions, we, uh, we do get that, that uh, somebody who's come uh, with uh, a faith, uh, and um, because he's so angry that he's not well, he then starts blaming God. Mm. And when he starts blaming God, he doesn't want to know anything about God. Mm. So how would I manage it?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: As I said before, I look at a person, what he's he's all about or she's about. Mm. If he doesn't want to talk about God, then I don't want to make it worse for him by talking about it. Mm. Yeah. Because you find that you just need to sit with them in that safe place, in that comfort where he or she feels comfortable. So not to bring God into anything or spirituality. Just sit and wait. Mm-hmm. And t- most of the time you will find after after they get they start getting a bit better, they would realize and they would come back. On the other hand, when there is a non-believer who, de- who doesn't have a faith, I shouldn't say non-believer, who doesn't have a faith, comes in, suddenly finds religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 On many occasions, um, uh, we've had uh, people who had um, come into uh, one of our mental health units and because I am a regular visitor there, they would say, oh, I want to become a Muslim. Mm. And uh, it is a hard one, but also it's very easy Mm. because that gives me an opportunity to talk to him about what Islam is about Mm -hmm. and that we cannot just make a decision about becoming a Muslim. It's Mm -hmm. a very long-drawn process. Mm -hmm. And Nine out of ten, I would say 99% will never convert to Islam. Yeah. yeah. Yeah? So it's about letting them know that you don't need to convert because we say revert because I'm a Muslim Mm -hmm. and you like the way I I talk to you, that you think that that's going to, you
1: know,
2: Let's talk about your journey. How you feel about faith and religion? Mm. So that's that's how I'm doing. I hope another, that answers the question. I think it answers it very well.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We've got another one. Is it the responsibility of nurses to provide spiritual
2: care, or is it chaplaincy work? Um, yeah. <laughs> you see, that, 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 this this is a little bit of a political um, question, but I will answer it the way I think is fit to answer. Mm. Yeah nurses have um, have this um, they they have been told that you are clinical mm. many nurses are found they're, they're of faith but feel restricted because they have been employed as nurses rather yeah. than a spiritual care yeah. so there is a little bit of um a, a, you know i've had this questions many a times about whether they, uh, you know, they can talk about religion. You see, I'll give you an example. There was a patient who who was of the same faith uh, as this individual uh, nurse, and the nurse. A kind lady just thought, okay. One evening they were sitting together and they started talking about religion. And she happened to say something about the, the same faith that she had.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And in a meeting, he he mentioned it. That oh, this nurse was really brilliant, and she spoke to me in a manner that you know I understood. Mm-hmm. And the, the nurse was uh, kind of asked a question, who what who gave you? You know, why did you do that? Uh, so it is some, It's a delicate thing. You have to go to your own management team and find out how far you could go in terms of your spirituality, in terms of the nurses. Mm-hmm. I hope that answers the question. It does. It does.
1: It's one that always um, causes concern to people, isn't it? But I think it's, it, on one hand, it's incredibly simple, but you're right, on another hand, it's incredibly complicated. So for me, um, as a nurse, you're a therapeutic tool. It's not about you. And so if you're able to offer something that that person needs, that's different. It's like talking about politics. You can tell someone how to vote. or You can tell somebody how they can register a vote. You can tell somebody, you know, oh, you can do this or you can do that or the election's coming up. What you can't do is tell somebody how you vote and tell them to do the same. And I think it's the same thing with God and spirituality. Surely everybody has an internal life, don't they, of some kind or another. And if, if there's something that um, you can offer somebody that they've asked for, that's very different than sitting down and putting it on somebody. And I think, again, it's because it's such a personal thing, that personal and professional identity can get mixed up for people. And when you're in situations that are fast moving and fast changing, they are complicated. But I think all human interaction are a bit complicated. And we're quite used to dealing with all the other aspects. So I think... You're absolutely right. Get, speak to your manager, management team, and, and figure out how you how you want to manage it in a way that you would with any other complex
2: questions. And also, also if you if you're not able to do that, just signpost to the patient. Well, absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you think that he needs that support, she needs that support, just
1: signpost. Mm, absolutely, like you do, like you would with a dietitian, like you would with an OT. You know, th- th- there's a reason we work as a team, isn't there? Because everybody has different gifts to bring to the table, yeah. and you know. I remember when I was sort of first working, people were talking about um, keep helping somebody stay upright is, is like a tent pole, and you need lots of different guy ropes coming off it. You can't do the whole job by yourself, and it's not good for that person, and it's not good for you to do that. The more sources of support somebody has, the better they will be able to manage, and it, it just makes perfect sense to me that, and I think you're absolutely right. So if there is anybody out there, make sure you know who's, who needs to think this through. Speak to your management team, speak to your chaplains. And figure it out you know don't run scared from it and just think well, this is an awkward problem but yeah. absolutely embrace it fantastic thank you
0: Let's see if we've got any more questions coming in mm. it's really interesting isn't it i think i think what you were just saying as well nikki is about the sort of broader concept of spirituality as well isn't it that i think as mm. Earth is, we've got um an important role to facilitate conversations um mm. That are about spirituality in the sense that you know people that we work with often in crisis, where they're reassessing and questioning the meaning of life and what direction they're going in and what's important to them mm-hmm. and what it's all about. You know what mm-hmm. is life all about, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. They're spiritual questions, aren't they? That we, you know, we we can yeah. answer them, and by asking those, it informs how we work with someone and and just what Yasmin's saying about um, you know sitting people and with people and having a human connection, sometimes I feel that um, you know we run away from that stuff because we are kind of conditioned to think that we need to do something more technical or use a particular theory or model or approach with people. When actually, mm. what can be the most profound is just sitting with people during their mm. hour of need. And for me, that's what led me into mental health nurse. And it wasn't because I wanted to do psychoanalysis or CBT yeah. or any every, any other number of, um, sort of psychological approaches. Mm. I mean, I, I, they're all valid, of course they are. And um, but you know, just being able to sit with somebody and connect mm. with somebody is part of the essence of mental health nursing, isn't it? So I do think that there is a crossover in that way, but also that we can learn, you know, from from chaplains as well, and that, you know, we should be working together and and collaborating. But I wanted to ask as well about um, sort of the role of chaplaincy in terms of people's cultural needs being met, because for me, we do still work in a very white system, and particularly, you know, when I've worked in prisons, um... You know, I've really been struck by, you know, how significant um chaplains are. And Yasmin, you know, you're talking about being a Muslim chaplain. Um, times, you know, when I've worked with women uh, you know, who've been Muslims and um, you know, it's been the chaplains who've who've I've been able to connect them with, who've been able to help make sure that their cultural needs are met while they're in prison or in hospital. Um, you know, as chaplains who've often been able to advocate. Um, I mean, I'm talking about women, but the same for men as well. Um, So I guess I don't know what whether it's a question in particular, but something about your role in terms of um, cultural practices and supporting people in that way as well.
2: Yeah. Well, um, in in terms of cultural, um, uh, this this is this is the beauty about being a generic chaplain. Mm -hmm. I would go into the units where we've got people with different faiths. For example, if it's a a Catholic uh, Mm -hmm. uh, patient uh, and I'm seeing him on a regular basis, but what's important to him is mass. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, so I organize on a monthly basis mass service Mm -hmm. in that unit. So whoever wants to join in together with my, my colleague, we would go in and do this mass. He would, he would do the uh, you know delivery of mass. Um, some people want to do confession. So I will provide that. Likewise, my colleagues, if there is a Muslim uh, uh, patient and uh, they would work with them, but if, as soon as they say, oh, I need a prayer, I need someone to come and pray with me, they would contact me and I would go and visit them in there. So all the cultural needs and everything, they, they're all met. Uh, yeah, we we yeah. do tend to kind of focus on that very vigilantly, you know, so that nobody
0: misses out, as, as it were. Yeah, it is really, really important. And um, and I particularly while people are in hospital and they're disconnected um, yeah. and off from their faiths. And just thinking um, also about, you know, religious ceremonies throughout the year and religious festivals and, um you Know again as I was saying, really, I do think we're in a quite predominant white system, aren't we? And and just, um, you know, being able to educate people around, um, you know, different religions. I know, I suppose what I'm thinking of is my um, my children grew up initially in Bradford, which is obviously very multicultural, and then we moved mm. to York, which is very white. And um, when my son went to, um, went to school in York, age eight the teachers were saying to me, "Your son's very good at religious education. How does he know about all the different festivals? And it was because he'd spent the first few years of his life in Bradford. The schools mm. were absolutely brilliant at ensuring that the children knew about all the different festivals. And then, of course, we moved to York and it was, you know, it was the opposite. So I think I was thinking about that within mental health, really. Mm. Yeah. And, and I think the chaplains have got quite a crucial role, really, around educating people and, Making sure that people's needs are met, and making sure as a system that we're um, we're looking beyond um, sort of Christianity and um, and sort of white cultural practices, and we're thinking much broader.
2: I, I also think that it also, um, like, um, I'm quite proud to say this, that uh, uh, at the time of Christmas, I organise a Christmas carols services we have a uh, uh, 16 18 units where we have to do our services and i would say to my christian brothers and uh, you know this is where you're going to go and do a carol service yeah. here and you're going to do that and then when um diwali comes we have celebration with that uh, uh, units yeah. yeah we do eid uh, last time last year when there was eid i went into a secure unit where we cooked biryani they wanted to eat biryani so we cooked biryani and all that so cultural stuff is we're very diverse it, it, it mm. kind of um, we're mindful that we need to be doing that, yeah. So that uh, people are all all the uh, staff services; they're all aware of different cultures. Yeah. So yeah. That
1: was one of the best things I think about becoming a mental health nurse, because we were organising the end, the kind of like making sure that we had things to do every day. Um, We celebrated everything, literally everything, whether there was anybody of that faith there or not. (laughs) It it worked really brilliantly. (laughs) It's a fantastic education and food programme. So um, what I am conscious of is that it's gone so fast. And Thank you so much, Yasmin, for your time. It's been absolutely brilliant. Yeah, we've still got questions coming in. So if we do get them, we'll pass them on to you. Yeah, Yeah, Um, and I'll come to you both in a second for your sort of like, any thoughts you just want to leave people with. Um, but whilst you're having a think, because it is a bit of a thing to jump on somebody and to say what your final thoughts. Um, I'll just mention that obviously tomorrow we're starting back. Well, it's our last one, actually. It's our last episode of the MHNR conference 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's it's going to really lead on fantastically from this because it's on older adults, uh, working with older people and also end of life care. And so Mick McKeown will be back with us and also Ben Hannigan as a, as a guest panellist. So send in your difficult questions for him. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and also next week we've got um for mhTV so next thursday we we will be back and we with with an all wales episode and i'm really excited about this um, because it's policy voice and power talking about how people can work within sort of structures of systems um in order to to get the best care possible for their for the people that they're supporting and also for their colleagues so that we're working in systems that that allow that kind of human space so um, i'll hand back over to Vanessa
0: yeah Well I think that Nikki says it's really gone um fast tonight um I thought because we only had um you know we had we've been having big panels with like three or four people so I thought it might be quite nice just um having one guest on tonight but it's actually gone just as fast I think Mm -hmm. um because of the conversation we've had and Mm. you know there's so much that we've covered but I feel like there's so much we still have to cover as well and like with lots of these sessions, maybe we need to have an ongoing conversation and come back to this at some point. But for me, um, I think the whole thing's been really interesting, Yasmin, and I appreciate your time. And
2: mm-hmm. I think
0: the, the stuff you, t- you shared with us about COVID is what will stay with me. And yeah. um, and your role over that period, and you know, I think really quite profound the work that you did. And you know, thank goodness you were there and able to provide the support to the people over that period. And I think um, I'm sure people listening and watching um, will will share those thoughts as well. Mm. So thank you, you know, for that.
2: Um, You're welcome. It was a team effort, so yeah. uh, I, it was a pleasure to be doing what I did. I was humbled by it. But the last thing that I'm uh, I'm going to say is to have the strength to smile when we we feel sad. Mm. Yeah. Just have the strength to smile when we feel sad. You know, don't lose hope. Yeah, you know, because we, we, we're in such a stressful situation at the moment that uh, we feel stressed all the time. But having faith, whether you are a believer or not, there is something about faith, whatever you believe in, be strong and stay united and love one another.
1: Absolutely. We're not going to get a better ending message than that, are we? <laughs> I think all, all that remains is to say goodnight. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks everybody for joining in too. Thank you.
0: Good night,
1: everyone. Bye.